Yes, good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips that might uh, improve our business a little bit. We're also talking with Christina Sikiotis with our Mini Dawn Innovation. We're going to be looking at some innovations that will change your tomorrow. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Craig McGregor from the Hunter Recruitment Group and now President of the Maitland Chamber. Good afternoon, Craig. G'day, G'day Julian. How are you going today? I'm well. Congratulations on your up promotion up to President. Yeah, one rung up the ladder, I suppose. So. <laughs> a bit more time. <laughs> yeah, a bit more Less time, time I should say. Yeah, that's, well, that's, 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 they keep telling me that the President's job should be the easiest one, but uh, ask me maybe in 12 months' time. Depends how good you are at delegating. That's it, yeah. <laughs> so, so recruitment, I mean, we just talked there, the, the song was Make It Easy On Yourself. Recruitment can be something that can make it hard or easy, isn't it, if we don't get the right people? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we were going to think about talking about today was trying to find that mix between skills and personality or culture fit, how we try and get that right. So, so well, all right, well, let's talk about the culture fit first. How do we identify the culture fit in our organisation? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think most organisations do a good job. Some can do a better job of trying to figure out what that is. And even us at the Chamber, for example, that's our our next uh, meeting or our next uh, executive committee will get together and try and figure out, well, what is our mission? What is our vision? What do we actually do? And what does our our organisation stand for? And if we can clarify those things and understand those things better, then we can find better people to, in our case, join us as members but uh, in most organisations' cases, uh, work as an as a employee, so in recruitment. So I suppose also the culture would be how do we want to be identified? Yeah, 100%. So what are those things that are really critical and important to us as, as owners of business, if it is a small business or if we're operating a larger business? How do we then make sure that as managers we continue to have that culture or that, that organisational value or feel? How do we make sure that that gets down from the... Top of the top of the ladder, right down to the guys at the bottom of the ladder. So, so a lot of the the culture will then be sort of perception and and the and the fu- warm and fuzzy stuff, wouldn't it? Yeah, a, a little bit. But some of those things you can write down, and some organisations do a great job uh, putting them on their website. You know, advocating that we stand for you know customer excellence or um, sustainability or whatever it is that they they want to engage not only their clients in, which is the main focus of those websites and. and and uh, I suppose PR and marketing exercise, but it's also a way of saying to people that work in the organisation, hey, this is the kind of business that we're going to have and this is the kind of people that we want in our organisation. So it's a part of that recruitment process. So, uh, you know, identifying something like, uh, or we we want to give the customers the best possible customer service, obviously that would be a skill that we would then try and match our our, um, participants into delivering that service for us, but won't everybody say, well, we give good customer service? Yeah, so that's where it's different things to different people, isn't it? So there's a, I suppose, a scale or a level, and so it's understanding where the individual that you're trying to recruit fits on that scale compared to what you as an organisation want to deliver because you know, we've all been into you know, different aspects of businesses. If we walk in off the street as a customer and had good or bad experiences on different yeah. days. So, so, so I, I mean... Customer service is an attitude. Yeah, so how, do you, how would you pick that up at a job interview? For example, a, a, a young girl or a young guy has come into you and said, yeah, well, I've got, good, I've got customer service experience. I've worked in hot, fast takeaway food shop or something like that. Yep. How, do, how do we pick that up as whether they're really 
really good good customer service or whether they're really uh, just yeah, good, a machine? Good question, and that's where that's where the, the the good interviewer stands out from the from the poor one. So anyone can sit there and say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm great at customer service," and you tick that box going through the questions and ask the next question. Uh, this is where you need to explore or go into depth a little bit around that that skill that you're looking for, and there, if it is a, a fit in terms of culture as well, and it's around the style of interview. So you could use a behavioural style question. So ask for an yep. example. So give me an example of a tough customer that you had to deal with, or give me an example of a customer that had great satisfaction and the feedback that you got. Alternatively, you could take your interview to the to the next level and, and get them to deliver customer service to you. Mm. Uh, for example, whenever I'm recruiting for a, a reception or administration uh, role a big part of the interview is actually the phone call to set up the interview. Okay. The phone call when they ring through. A big part of that job is, is their phone manner and how they deal with their customers as that first person that calls the business. If they're not professional when they're dealing with me as the recruiter, then that's a big step towards not getting the role. So you're interviewing people before they even know they're being interviewed? 100%. 100%. What other skills do you think would fit into a culture, for example, then? Um, well, it's more about the, the, I think if you understand what the values are of the organisation. So what does the organisation stand for? And that's where it, it does become tough to try and say, well, in, a, in an interview scenario, how do we then work that out? How do we go, well, I'm interviewing Craig for this job in, in my company. Is he going to fit my organisation? That's where you've got to do your homework and just rather than just going through the rote, I suppose what the, the thing that I'm trying to portray today is most companies will go through that rote of, I need five skills, so I'm going to ask my questions around these five skills, customer service, <clears throat> um, you know, training, safety, whatever the, the skills are. You need to also have questions around the values of your organisation. So, you know, it may be we've worked with organisations that are not-for-profit, for example, mm. so we ask questions around community service and what that means to the individual or what sort of things do they volunteer for outside of work or you know, trying to get a gauge for the person and the personality and do they have those same ethics or values that we have as an organisation. And I suppose team building would be another one that you'd try and bring in somehow. So again, you could ask some behavioural style questions around that, around, you know, give us some examples of, you know, when you've had to work as a team and how you've been a part of a team or how you've been a leader of a team, whatever it is that you're looking for in that particular role. How do you work with one who, for example, is not, doesn't, doesn't get on with their manager or their supervisor and, and it's obvious that it's the manager that's the problem rather than the, than the individual yeah, people leave managers, they don't leave companies. That's yeah. one of my favourite sayings. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. And that's where I suppose the next phase of the um, recruitment process uh, in the reference checking part, you have to be really careful about yes. who you're talking to and what sort of information you're getting. But it's also hard for a candidate, you know. Like a candidate going for an interview doesn't want to sit there and say, well, you know, Julian was a terrible manager and he didn't do this and he didn't do that. And the interviewer sits there and thinks, oh, this, this person's going to react that way with me. Yes. So it's a really fine line for, mm. for both interviewer and interviewee there. I think if you're, if you're the candidate, you've got to try and uh, maintain a professionalism. Mm. And you can talk about issues, but mainly try not to keep it personal, I suppose. Take names out of the equation and just say, yeah, look, a previous manager, I feel, didn't manage this component of the task um, properly, and therefore I had to step up and do this, 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 or I looked to another mentor. Um, so there's, you know, there's lots of different ways to try and counteract that. But it just comes back to tell us that the art of interviewing or the art mm. of you know, selection, it's not as easy as just putting an ad on the, the internet and picking one of the people. Yeah. So any, any big plans for the Maitland Chamber or are you waiting for that meeting? Yeah, no, look, I think our, our, our big plans focus on uh, March with the state election. Oh, yes. And, uh, we'll be lobbying the uh, candidates from all sides of 
political world on what we want to see in Maitland. And one of those key things that we're looking for is um, a decentralisation of government um, services mm. to try and to get, you know, for example, work cover moved to Gosford uh, about 10 years ago, and that created a lot of employment for the people in the Central Coast. Yes. So we're looking at, well, what's the next one of those that could come to somewhere like Maitland to help us from an employment perspective, but also skills. We'll diversify the skills that, uh, skills need in our area, which will then lead to kids doing different courses and diversification of youth um, skills and hopefully help with youth unemployment. Great. Well, it sounds like something we can talk about another time. Sounds great, Julian. Have, yeah, a, have a good day. day. You too. Yeah, Bye-bye. Bye. Craig McGregor there from Hunter Recruitment Group. Yeah, and now President of the Maitland Chamber, helping us to understand skills versus culture. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. Time to pop over to Christina Sikiatis for our talk on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And we're going to look at some innovation that will change your tomorrow. Yes, I stumbled across some information and, and it, it's under the heading of innovations that will change your tomorrow. Um, and it's quite remarkable to actually think that some of these aren't just wild ideas. They're, they're things that are being prototyped um, and actioned on within universities, within different organisations. So, example, um, there's some physicists at a, at a university called Wake Forest University and they're working on a fabric that doubles up as, a, as an, almost a power outlet, if you like. So they've come up with a fabric um, and you can use it to line a shirt or make a mobile phone case out of or something like that. And what it does is it converts the differences in the body temperature across the span of the clothing. So say it might be from, from the cuff to the armpit into electricity. The different parts of the shirt, um, because your body varies in temperature depending on what you're doing and, and if you, say you've got your hand in your pocket and, the, and there's extra heat created... Um, when it varies by roughly 10 degrees, they say, you can actually power up something like an MP3 player just by sitting still. And what they're, what they're looking at, the, the fabrics creator is a man by the name of David Carroll. They're looking at actually creating mobile phone cases aligned with a material that can boost a phone's battery charge by 10 to 15% over an eight-hour period simply by using the heat that's absorbed from your pocket. So I thought that was... That's, quite a remarkable um, remarkable thing that we can create a fabric that actually heats up and can create electricity. What that does for, um, for global warming and the planet, you know, that's a whole other issue as well. Oh, I would hope the, vo is the voltage is not too high either. <laughs> we'd be giving you <laughs> some shocks, be, wouldn't it? Yeah, that could be a bit dangerous, couldn't it? <laughs> well, that's the um, potential, isn't it? Yeah, it does, it does. But I, I guess that's all controlled within the fabric and, and they're only looking at variations of about 10 degrees. So, um, okay. Potentially, that doesn't happen. You won't want to self-combust, though. That could create dangerous um, situations. No. There's an, another another thing that just... I had to Google when I read it, but it's actually... Um, it's, it's something that's being worked on by a Finnish company called MyonTech. I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly. Um, but it's a, a, a spandex material, and there's... So they're, they're marketing underwear that's embedded with what they call electromyographic sensors, and they tell you how hard you're working your quadriceps, your hamstrings, your gluteus muscles. It sends the data to a computer to get analysed. Um, and what you can look at then is whether you're working all those parts of your body hard enough. Uh, and the idea is that it can lead you to, to lead a less sedentary type of life. So I thought that was quite interesting. If we can monitor 
um, our movement from our gluteus muscles, then goodness knows how fit we may become one day. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. There's a, another another one that, as a as a bike rider, that tickled my fancy too. It's called anti-theft handlebars. So if you um, so people that still bike, you know, you would want to make it as difficult as you can for them because it's very painful when you walk out and you can't find your your transport. But it's got a bearing system that allows the bike to be to turn. Um, and so it can be locked so that the thief can't steer a stolen bike. Uh, and the lock is internal so that in order for them to, to do anything with the bike, they would have to destroy it. So there's no chance that they would actually take your bike away and have the satisfaction of rolling it away um, well, because it, would just, it, it wouldn't happen. Yeah, that's probably an age-old problem, that, isn't it? Uh, it, it is. Solving your bike, bike being stolen problem. Yeah, and I, quite often I'll be out walking and I'll see um, see a bike that's actually missing a wheel, and I think that's most most um, disruptive to somebody's day. Um, there was there was another. We've got time for one more. Yeah, you got time for another one. Yep. Okay, so there's an, another idea that says that they're that they're looking at turning um, your whole room into a monitor. So we've got laptops and tablets, um, etc., and but everything is confined to a screen. What this person wants to do you turn the whole room into a monitor so that if you're working on your kitchen bench, um, you can pump up the ingredients from a, from a recipe that you want to make and the ingredients are actually sitting there on your bench or you look at your fridge and you can, you can sit there and, and have a look at um, what's within the fridge and what's not within the fridge. And we know that, that you can actually put um, orders through fridges now. We've already done that. But this, in this situation, the whole place, the whole kitchen, for example, becomes, um, becomes a monitor. So you don't have a television in your kitchen. You might have the television that's appearing on your on your um, kitchen cupboard, for example. Or you might have a combination of microphones and cameras built into built into some outlet in the kitchen. Um, and instead of saying computer, turn off the kitchen light, you might point to it and then go turn that off, and the computer monitor does it automatically. So wow. once upon a time, you know, space travel was considered to be almost impossible. Um, these people are actually working on prototypes for all these products. It's just quite remarkable what people are coming up with. And, and of course, we do have that on the TV these days, where uh, you, people wave their fingers around in midair and uh, computer graphics and things appear. I don't think it'll be long before we have that in reality. No, no I, I agree with you. I think yeah. it's just a, just a tick away, really. Things that were on uh, Star Trek for, forty years ago uh, and Doctor Who are now reality. So. Yeah. We'll keep looking to the future. Yeah, Thank. I'm just waiting to beam me up, Scotty, to happen. <laughs> that would be a good one, won't it? Yeah, it will be. I've had a lot of travel time. I'm not sure what all those people employed by the airports, airports are going to do, though. Well, great. Well, thanks very much for your time. We'll have a chat with you again next week. Okay, look forward to it. Have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina Sikiat is there with her Minute on Innovation. A bit longer than a minute, wasn't it? But some interesting, some of those innovations that are popping up. Well, let's have a look at a couple of our uh, Harvard Business Review tips. Uh, this one here relates to building our team, and we've often talked about that with, uh, with Craig McGregor. How to earn and keep your team's trust. When employees trust their manager, they're more likely to follow through on goals and be forthcoming about challenges. That's why it's important to reinforce your trustworthiness. Here's how you can build and keep your employees' trust. First of all, make a connection. Get to know people on your team and let them get to know you. Secondly, encourage rather than command. Delegate tasks and grant as much autonomy as possible, but make your expectations and performance metrics clear. Thirdly, take blame but give credit. 
Show that everyone is working towards shared goals and not your personal agenda. Don't play favourites. And lastly, show competence. If you aren't good at your job, you can't forget about your you can forget about your employees trusting you. Update your own skills and follow through on commitments. Ask questions and express an eagerness to learn. What a great way to getting your team to follow you. And we've often talked about innovation. What about this one? Boredom can be a catalyst for creativity. We've all been bored at work. In fact, we may be bored right now. But according to multiple studies, the boredom we feel from time to time could be a benefit to us. In one study, researchers found that participants who were asked to copy numbers from a phone book, a rote and a boring task, if there ever was one, performed much better on a creative test than those in a control group who skipped the drudgery. Why? It turns out that boredom leads to daydreaming, and daydreaming allows us to warm up our creative muscles. So make sure to leverage all those pointless staff meetings, conference calls and administrative tasks by immediately jumping into a more creative thing. Great idea. I know we all get those little boredom things from time to time, don't we? Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've chat with Craig McGregor about skills versus culture in recruitment. And, of course, recruitment is not the easiest thing to do sometimes, is it? And looked at some of those innovations that will change your tomorrow. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll be talking to Tony Vidray about uh, the uh, tax the latest tax information. We'll be having a chat with Christina Sikiatis and we'll look at some more legal and business news and views that may affect your business. I'd love your company at the same time for business, the law and you. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Dale Carnegie once said, when fate hands you a lemon, let's try and make lemonade.